Okay, let's begin tonight. What we're going to do is start with a couple verses in chapter 9, and then I want to go to chapter 11, and if we have time, I'll come back to chapter 10. And the reason I'm doing it that way is because I want to make sure I have enough time to do chapter 11. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I just want to look at one verse briefly, and that's verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? And and Paul is relating that to probably the games that they had. You know, we know the Olympic games, the the games that they they had there that uh, they would sport, sporting games. They would all go out and compete and compete for the prize. So he's saying here, run in such a way that you may obtain. So in other words, don't run like some do. Don't really care about the race. And he goes on, and we're, we're going to come back to that in a minute. And everyone, verse 24, who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. So all the athletic competition that we see on the earth in this country, I mean, they have stations and stations devoted to that. It's all for a corruptible crown, or it's, it's all going to pass away. It's, there's no value in it. Maybe just for a short period of time, someone sees you, someone you know, gives you compliment or somebody says how great you are but that's all passing and there's no eternal value to it he says but we run to obtain an imperishable crown so in ecclesiastes it says the race is not to the swift so it's not based upon a person's physical ability it's not based upon how good you are how physical you are how much you can do what your physical abilities are, how strong you are. It's not that at all. In Hebrews, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Very familiar portion of scripture. Hebrews 12 verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and that relates back to chapter 11. They call the chapter 11 the faith chapter, and the writer to the Hebrews, he moves along down talking about Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and so on. And these are a great cloud of witnesses. They, their lives that we read and we look into and we study in the Bible are our witnesses. Therefore, we also, since we are, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight... And that could mean a lot of different things. You know, different things weigh us down or can weigh us down. And the sin, in particular, sin will cause a person to turn out of the race. So you can have someone who goes along for a period of time and may show great potential. I have seen great potential in people here in the Bible school, upstairs in church. And the ones you would think will not make it many times are the ones who are faithful, the ones that keep on moving on, the ones that keep on walking, the ones that keep on pushing forward, the ones that seem to, no matter what, what the circumstance or the problem is, they're going to continue to walk with the Lord. 
those end up serving Lord, walking with Lord, and continue to uh, influence the lives of others and so on. But the ones you think, oh man, they're showing such great potential and they have such an understanding of maybe the scriptures. Or they seem like they're really coming along well and they're getting certain things. And then after a period of time, they disappear. And we've seen that even here, where someone's here, they're here for a long period of time, and then all of a sudden, where did such and such go? Where are they? And so the race that we have to run is not like a race in the natural, where you, you can train for a marathon or a triath- triathlon, and you can build your stamina up and you can function and do it. But the race we're in is quite different. And although you can build up your muscle spiritually, it says exercise yourself unto godliness, and you can also uh, gain stamina in spirit to continue to walk. But the race is, as Paul says in Galatians 5, he says, walk in the spirit. He doesn't say run in the spirit. He says walk in the spirit, which means that it will take a day-by-day slow progression. Walking is much slower than running. You won't gain as much ground all at once. But if you continue to walk and you continue to go and you continue to put one foot in front of the other and, and continue on, after a while, after a period of time, you will continue to make progress and you'll get out there a lot further than you were when you started. So he says that we are surrounded by this great cloud of witness. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily, the King James says, besets us. The New King James says, um, ensnares us. And both words have basically the same meaning. And it means that there are things that hinder us. There are things that will come into our set of circumstances uh, that the, the Lord will bring for a test. The enemy will bring things to ensnare you, to hinder you, so that you will no longer want to continue to walk with the Lord. You would rather turn out because it's the easy way. You'd rather go another direction because everybody else is going that way. Or you'd rather go back another way because that's where your friends are. There's where the people that you hung around with. And now maybe you don't have so many friends. So, you know, you person may decide they're going to go another way. So there are many hindrances that we have to deal with as Christians. And I just don't mean uh, external hindrances. That's true. But we also have many times the internal things that hinder us that we have to deal with. Maybe our own faults, our own shortcomings, things that that, uh, in our makeup that cause us problems that we have to overcome. And with some people, it's a continual thing. They have to continue to, to push past it, push past it, push past it until there's some breakthrough in their life until where now you know, they can walk more efficiently, effectively uh, with the Lord, not having certain hindrances. They're, they're put aside or pushed aside. The Lord d- deals with them. He gets them out of the way, however he, however he does it, whatever happens. But there are hindrances that we have to deal with. And sometimes... We experience more and greater hindrances at certain points in our Christian walk. I think that one of the most critical times for a Christian is when they're first um, young, when they first come to the Lord, because the enemy many times implants thoughts in their mind, 
He says that this is ridiculous, this is foolish, or, you know, you haven't really experienced, you know, this was all in your mind what you just experienced. And see, with me, the first day I knew something took place, and the Lord spoke to my heart right then and there, and that's what I needed. So that when the enemy came to me, saying this is foolishness, this isn't the, isn't the Lord, it's not God, and all, I, I couldn't entertain that because I knew, knew better, I knew different. So we'll all have to deal with hindrances, especially when we first begin. And then once we've been in the race for quite a long time, maybe some years, we will encounter hindrance, hindrances that will make us question, uh, make us wonder what we're doing. <laughs> you know, are we making any progress at all, and if you've been a Christian for any length of time, one of those you know, those thoughts will come. You know, I don't think I've really made much. I haven't progressed much in the last five or ten years. Or something will come, and something will upset you, or something will happen. Uh, maybe some uh, hindrance, some some sin, whatever. You fall back into something that you thought was gone, and you think, boy, you know, it's like two steps forward and four steps backward. So in those times, the enemy wants to come and plant certain things in your mind to try to get you to stop and to go back and not to continue in the race. So you have the Spirit of God and you have the Spirit of the world, and they're always against one another. The Spirit of of, um, the enemy, the devil, the Spirit of Antichrist and the Spirit of God always directly opposite one another. And many times we're in the middle and you're being pulled by the world and then you're being pulled by the Lord. You're pulled by the world and then you go to church and then you finally get things, oh, this, this is okay, I'm okay now. And then you go out and two days later you're in your workplace and you feel the pull or something happens and you just, boom, you know, things blow up. Well, listen, The Lord wants to work in our heart and our life in such a way to where the world will still have a pull, but it will not pull you down and back where you were. Because you have been delivered, you have been saved, you have been brought out from where you were. And the Lord has done something in your life. And if you can keep Him before you, As the psalmist says, I have always kept the Lord before me, or I've kept before uh, the Lord before me always, I believe David said. If we can keep him before us, and that's an internal thing, that we will have what we need, and we can continue on in the race and continue to walk with him. And even though certain things may come and we may encounter some some hindrances, we'll still be able to continue past them and continue to walk in the Spirit, to continue to walk with Him, to continue to progress in the way that He has for us, to continue to to move with Him and to experience a deeper walk with Him. And so he says here that the sin which so easily hinders us and let us run with patience, King James says, New King James says endurance because it will take both actually, but it will take endurance on your part to continue to serve the Lord. And so much so as that day approaches. So let us run with endurance. 
the race that is set before us. And remember that Paul just said in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, to run the race, that we can progress in spirit. And he says in Hebrews here, the, the writer, he says, let us run the race with endurance. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus. And that's not a physical thing. That is a spiritual thing or an internal thing. So that whenever the world begins to pull you aside, whenever the temptation may come, the internal thing there, if we are going to walk with the Lord, will be looking unto Jesus. So that means we must take our eyes off of that which is before us, that which is trying to hinder us, that which is trying to draw us back into the world or draw us back into our old life or draw us back into our old ways. We need to look unto Jesus. We have to have this heart that wants to serve him, that wants to walk with him and, and, and moves out from us saying, Lord, I'm looking unto you. Yes, I acknowledge that I'm being tempted. I acknowledge that the world is trying to draw me back. But Lord, I'm going to be true to you. No matter what the hindrance, no matter what comes, I am going to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, the one who gave me a measure of faith at the beginning and who will continue to give me what I need to bring that to a completion. For... <clears throat> who for the joy that was set before him, meaning Jesus, the cross, despised, despising the shame, who sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him. You know, Jesus had to endure. Jesus had to overcome. Jesus had many hindrances, just like we will. We'll all have to you know, deal with certain things. It's the way it is. So back in 1 Corinthians 9, or let's just look at, um, hold your place there and go to Acts, Acts 20, verse 24. So Paul says, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. You see that? Paul was not self-centered. Paul wanted to give to others. Paul wanted to minister the gospel. He wanted to give um, a word in season to those who are in need or those who were lost. So he says, I do not count my life dear to me, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul was saying here, I do not count my life dear to me. In other words, I am not going to live a self-centered life. We all have the opportunity as Christians to live a self-centered life, and there are Christians who do that. And as I've said before and will continue to say, that a person can still go to heaven and live a self-centered life. A person can call upon the name of the Lord to be saved and live the self-centered life. So it becomes a choice. But... A true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say a true disciple will not live for themselves. They have caught a glimpse of something greater. And that which they see will compel them to lay down their life 
and sow the seed of their life for other people so that other people not only can come into the kingdom, but that other people can come into the kingdom and experience the life of Christ to a greater degree than ever before, than they ever thought that they, they could or would. So in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. And have you ever seen somebody shadow box? You know? They're beating the air. There's no opponent there. So Paul's not interested in shadow boxing. He's not interested in beating the air. He's interested in running the race and fighting a good fight. And the fight we have, as you know, the scriptures say, it's not, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. We're not wrestling with people. It's very easy to get our eyes off of that and say, that person, I'm wrestling with him because he's evil. Well, that may be true. They're evil. But you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age. So there are many people today in government that do not know and do not understand that they are a tool of the devil, of the, of the evil one. And when you, if you would even say that to someone, they would laugh. Because, see, you don't, it's not something that you can see with your eyes, per se. But you can see the action of an individual. And you can see, well, if this individual is continually lying, it says in the Bible that Satan was the father of lies, doesn't it? It's very clear. So that one, whether they believe it or not, they're being used by the father of lies to perpetrate a lie or, I mean, they may even do some good things, but that's not the point. The point is that they are being used for a certain thing or for a certain reason, and they are unaware of it. And you see this, you know, with government, you see this even, you know, in the work field, you know, you can see that with people. Now, I'm not saying everybody that lies is, is a devil. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there are certain characteristics that set Christ apart. And if you have some of those characteristics, then you become Christ-like. You're like him. And if you are walking with him and you're, you're, you're watching what you say and what you do, then you become an expression of Christ. But if a person is going to lie, a person is going to steal, a person is going to cheat, a person is going to, you know, bear false witness, uh, or, you know, go down the list, then certain things that they do and certain things that they say will be expressed from a source that they are not aware of. So man can be manipulated by uh, the rulers of darkness. That's why Paul says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities of powers, and the rulers of darkness of this age. Verse 26, 
Oh, we read that. He says, I do not fight as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become, uh, the King James says, a, a castaway or disqualified. It means you become disqualified. So one can teach, someone can preach, you can teach Sunday school and do all these good works for the Lord, and you can become disqualified. And he says that if you don't bring your body under subjection or into subjection, well, because we talked about this before, about the immorality and about sexual immorality and so on, uh, which we have seen, I, I don't know if you have, I have seen it, where you have someone, and we've all probably have heard uh, someone testify to this fact that you have a pastor who ends up counseling a woman in the church, and then before you know it, there's a relationship there, and then he leaves the church and he, he, he runs away with a woman. That's happened, you know, many times. So that one who did all these good works, maybe he pastored for 20 years, sowing seed, sowing seed, sowing seed, did a great work for the Lord as far as other people. Now, the other people there will. will benefit from that. Now he goes another direction, and Paul says, you can preach to others and then be disqualified. So that now his reward uh, is in jeopardy. You know, the Lord figures all that out. You know, what it is that he'll, he'll receive um, hereafter or what he will not receive. And of course, you know that uh, you appear before, and we're going to study this and look at this probably in a couple weeks, about the judgment seat of Christ. You appear there as you are, what you have become in this life. Not, not how much you know. You know, not, none of that. But what you have become. Okay. Now let's go to chapter 11. Now this chapter here... I would have liked to have had more time to study this, but that's okay. What I want to show you and, and bring out here, I've never heard anywhere else. I've never heard it in another church. I've never read it. If you would get a commentary, and I looked at several commentaries, and I actually today even at work and at lunch, I looked in a commentary on my phone for the, a couple of these verses. And as far as I'm concerned, what I see that, for the most part, the Christian churches have totally missed this. Um, maybe I'm missing something, but I, as I see it, they have missed what Paul was really saying and getting at because of how uh, it's termed in the Bible, the, um, the phraseology and so on. So we're going to try to look at this here and... We'll begin with the definition here of the word head. Now, if I look over here at this young man and I say, where's his head? We all know where your head is, right? Okay, the uppermost part of the human body is the head. Okay. Another meaning of it is commander, leader. Uh, one who has the first 
rank or place. It might be better or uh, place. First place. To whom others are subordinate. So if you're, for example, if you're the head of a company, others are subordinate to you. You know, if you're the postmaster general, then the people are subordinate to you. So that's some of the meanings. Uh, of course, it means the human head of the word head. Now, let's begin in verse 3. Paul says, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. So let's do this here. Now, what happens when we read the Bible many times? We begin with an understanding of a particular verse, but as we continue on down past that verse, we forget the context of or the setting of the verse. So now, if you go four or five verses down from this, and you don't understand what, and, and, and remember what is said prior to that, which Paul sets up here as an, okay, this is what we're talking about. This is the subject here. Uh, this is the main core of what we're going to discuss. And this is not just this chapter, but other chapters in the Bible are the same. Uh, you read certain verses, and then you go down three, four, or five verses, and then people will start to look at that, and they have all these other interpretations, and they forget that this, the subject here is this. Like, for example, the, the one verse where it says, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? That's, that's the subject of what they're talking about. And then they say, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're this. You know, he said, but then who do you say that I am? Well, we believe that you are the Son of God. And he says to Peter, you're Peter, and upon that rock I will build my stone. Now, what's the subject, Peter? No, the subject is, who do men say that I am? Jesus, you see? So they go down a few verses, and now they're saying, well, that's talking about the Pope. It's not talking about the Pope. It's talking about Jesus Christ. Upon that rock, I will build my church. And Peter means stone. <laughs> Upon that rock. What, what, what rock's that? Upon that revelation that I am the Son of God. Upon that. So that's what I'm saying. People read the scriptures and they go down a couple more. And now they get all these other meanings come out. And they're saying, well, tell me what the subject's talking about anymore. So here. We're going to lay the groundwork for what we're going to look here in, in this chapter. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. So here you have the, here you have the man. The head of every man is Christ. Let me do it this way. A little space here. The head of the woman is who? A man. The head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. God, or you could say the Father. So this is the subject. Everything else is going to be measured by this verse. So now, verse 4. Let's, let's do this. We're going to read this, and we'll go down through verse 10, and then we'll come back and we'll continue. 
Every man praying or prophesying having his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. And by the way, the Amplified, I read the Amplified, there's only one verse in there that I thought was good. <laughs> not, not too many of them. And, and I'll show you why. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is, to, is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol, or, or um, some of the translations say a covering, <coughs> a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, most churches will say that this is talking about a cultural thing, and that, and that was true, that in the culture, the women covered their heads with a veil or, or whatever. And you can even see today, even over in the Middle East, they cover their, you know, the women cover themselves. Um, not all women, of course. In certain religious denominations, now none of you here have ever gone to hol- any holiness churches, have you? Have you ever gone to a holiness church? Have you? No. no down the rocks when I was young. Okay. You weren't allowed to go in with a hat as a man, but a woman couldn't go in a church without her head covered. Okay. You had to have at least something like a doily on. Well, there would be a veil. Some of them used a shawl, a scarf, whatever it was to cover your head. Uh, Linda and I were at an Amish country in Ohio, and I I won't tell you the whole story, but we were invited by an Amish man to go with them. He was an Amish Mennonite. uh, To go with them to a church service, and we went into the church, and they're very literal. They'll take the scripture and they'll read it literally. If you get a literal interpretation from it, they'll use it. And that's not always bad, by the way. But anyway, the men sat on this side, the women on that side. The men had their hats off, and you know the Amish, they wear hats. Their hats were off. This side, all the women wore bonnets. So, of course, I sat with my wife, and the guy said, well, you're you're not part of the church here. You can sit with your wife. I said, I plan on sitting with her anyway. (laughs) <laughs> I don't care what you say. I'll, stay, I'll, I'll sit with her anyway. She's my wife. Anyway, so that is something that becomes a literal thing with a lot of people. And years ago in the churches, uh, a lot of the churches would take that literally, and the women had to have something over their head. Okay, now let's go back here. Verse 3, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Now, when he's talking about the head, he's not talking about that the hat for the man is Christ, and the hat for Christ is God. The hat for the woman is the man. If I would say that, you'd think I'm a little you know, off, right? i say, well, okay, you know, well, the hat for man is Christ. That doesn't even make sense, does it? He's not dealing with a hat. He's not dealing with a, with a veil, per se. So he's laying out the foundation here for what he's going to say. In verse 4, every man praying or prophesying 
having his head covered. Now, who did he just say was the head? Christ. So I can pray, I can prophesy, I can do things in the church, and I can have my head, Christ, covered. So that now, I am looking for the glory, I am looking for everyone to look to me, I am looking for recognition. I am looking for someone to say, boy, you're really something. That was really good. And if I come up and I entertain that, and my heart is not where it is to be, and my attitude is incorrect, then I cover my head Christ, rather than saying, and in my spirit projecting that he is the one. He is the one who died. He is the one who brings revelation. He is the one that will come to you and touch your life. He is the one who will change you. See, what is coming out of the spirit of the individual? See, so you can preach. Preaching can be a type of prophesying. Did you know that? Yes. There's, actually, that happens frequently when something comes out and it's, it's prophecy. People don't recognize it as such, but it's true. So if the man is praying, so Paul doesn't say prophesying, if he is praying, he can have an eloquent prayer, he can have the best prayer you ever heard, he can make the tone of that so fantastic that you get goosebumps. But if he has his head covered, Christ... If he is covering him, then he dishonors his head or he dishonors Christ. He's not bringing honor to Christ. He's bringing honor to himself. So the person, you know, comes out with this prayer and it's really loud. Have you ever been around some of the, and you have a real loud prayer. No, that's okay. But something's ringing here in your spirit saying, there's something about that prayer that isn't quite right. And you look at that and you say, all the words were right. Everything they said was good. There was nothing that was incorrect as far as doctrine. But yet, because of what was going on in the spirit of the individual, they covered or dishonored their head, meaning Christ. So one of the fail-safes so that we will not fall into that personally, is that we humble ourselves or we allow the Lord to humble us, to bring us down. And if that, that occurs and we're able to maintain that place, a lower place, then when we speak, when we prophesy, when we pray, we will never cover our head. It will never be covered because Christ will be shining forth from our life. And you're speaking. What they will hear is the Spirit of God speaking. They will hear something that resonates in here. Maybe they might not understand it. But something you know, comes to them and it's just like they're, they're watching and they're seeing something. But it's not you. And that is the way it's to work. That's the way it's to operate. That a man... Or a husband is to allow his head, Christ, to be uncovered. 
so that people see that. See, people aren't interested in seeing you as far as uh, religion's concerned. They're not interested in seeing you. But see, if Christ comes forth from your life, they may see something they never saw before. They may see something that they, can, they can't quite equate what it is, what, what's, what's going on, but they will be seeing something. And see, that cannot happen if the man covers his head. It has nothing to do with taking off your baseball cap when you come to church. Now, I mean, that's good that you do. You should. But I'm saying that's not what it's about. But that's what churches teach. That's what some churches believe. Verse 5. But every woman who prays or prophesied with her head uncovered. Now, who's her head? Her husband. Yes. If she prays or she prophesies with her head uncovered, she dishonors her head. See, her head, her authority. See, the, the, the head of every man is Christ. The authority over you and I. This is speaking about Christian men, by the way. Not, not unbelievers. They're under their own authority. But you and I, as Christians, us men, Christ is our head. He is the authority. He is the commander, the leader, the first in rank or in place in our heart, in our life. That's the way it's to be. Now the woman, if she prays with her head uncovered, she dishonors her head. So how would a woman uncover her husband? Any thoughts? Yeah. Well, I'll say this. By making him look bad in front of other people, women do that. I hear it sometimes, not here, but Linda has told me some things that people had said when she was elsewhere. And, uh, you know, they'll say certain things about their husband. They'll say negative, negative things about him. They'll talk them down. They'll make them look bad. Now, if they do that, I believe that's what Paul's talking about, that they are uncovering their head. And so now they're praying. They're called upon in the church, or they're praying somewhere for maybe some of the children at the altar or in one of the Sunday school rooms. They're praying for them. And all along in their heart, they have been uncovering their husband. They have been saying negative things, and actually, it may, some of it might be true, but that's not the point. The point is the attitude of heart that she has toward him. That's the point, and the Lord looks at that stuff. So she's praying, and it looks like she's doing this great work for the Lord, and the Lord looks at that and saying, she's praying with her head uncovered. It's not because she doesn't have a veil on her head. No, it's not talking about a veil on her head. The subject is the head of the woman is the man. She has her head uncovered, however that occurs. Maybe it's in her attitude. Maybe she doesn't like 
you know, he decided this is the way I think we, the family should go. Maybe they discussed it. This is the way I think sh- things should go. And she doesn't like it. And she's rebelling. She's not subordinate to, her, to him. She's not in submission. And she rises up. Have you, have you ever, I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but I know women have done it. They rise up against, in, in their spirit against their husbands. I'm talking about a Christian husband. And, I mean, it's, it's one thing if you think the, the, the direction's wrong. You can talk. You can reason. You know, maybe this is not the right way. And the, the husband should listen. Listen to what the wife has to say because sometimes the leading of the Lord, the direction of the Lord comes from her. But, you know, ultimately, he's going to make the final decision and he is going to be responsible for, for that decision by God. Not her. She's protected from that. If it's a bad decision and it goes the wrong direction, the woman is, is not, you know, that doesn't, uh, she's not judged. It doesn't affect her as far as her spirit. Um, God lays that responsibility on the man and that whole thing is on his shoulders. So it's important for the man to make the right decision. But if she has an attitude, she rides, rises up in her heart and she might not even say anything. But that's in her spirit toward him. It's just there. It's there. It's there. She goes to church. She's going to pray. You have a problem. You're at the altar. And she comes out, the woman goes over and lays her hand on and prays for you. And the Lord looks down. That prayer might help you, but not her. Because the Lord says she's praying with her head uncovered. Her heart attitude toward her husband has caused something to happen to where now she is not in submission to her husband. So we're talking here about coverings. So let's do it this way. Here you have the woman. And the covering over the the woman is the man. See, he's going to take the responsibility in the the family for going the right direction, for doing the right thing. That's on him. That's his responsibility. You women are protected from a lot of things. The man should be in that place and he is in a, an area of protection, just like Christ is in this area over us where he is protecting us. So the head of the man or the covering for the man is Christ. He covers him. See, this, this is dealing with uh, the order that God has laid down. Even back in Genesis, God created man first. Then after that, he created the woman. Not that she is any less of a person, a Christian or a godly person, than the man. It's not dealing with that at all. That's not even true. You know, just because she's in a different position here doesn't mean she's a second-class citizen. And that's what sometimes men do. They treat their wives, Christian men, they treat their wives like they're second-class citizens because they, you have to submit to me. That's so far from... The truth of God, it's ridiculous. Because the man is to lay down his life like Christ did for the church. Unless you do that, you have nothing to say. That's what you are to do. If you do that, then your wife will come around. Things will be right there. So, and here you have this order and the covering of Christ is God the Father, and you see that in Jesus. I do nothing but what the Father does. You see that whole, you know, him always dealing with that. Uh, and he becomes the expression of the Father. So this, this is the covering here.
Let's go back to verse 5. But every woman who prays or, or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Who's that now? What's, what's on her head? A veil? Her husband. Please remember this. Not that she's on her head. You know what I'm saying. I said it that way for a reason. Because that's, that's the main interpretation of this from churches. If somebody says that's the interpretation, that's fine. I mean, it, it doesn't affect me. If someone wants to go to church, a woman, and she, they believe that she should wear a bonnet or something, that's fine. You, you know, that, that's all well. If you want to put a shower hit, that's fine. I have no problem with that. I mean, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect my worship. I can go somewhere in a church like that and worship with people. I'm not going to say they're an error or nothing like that. Like that. But what I'm trying to show you is that I believe the church has missed the context of all of what goes on in this chapter here, the beginning of it anyway. So she dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. So a woman, uh, even, well, even today, maybe not so much today, but back then a woman would have long hair, and that was a glory to the woman, and the man would not have long hair for the most part. And so he says here, well, if you're not going, to, if, you're, if you're going to uncover your head, that's the same as you being shaved, your head being shaved, which was a disgrace back then if they did that. It would be the same as that. So he's, he's equating not that you have a veil on your head. If you don't have a veil on your head, that's the same as if your, your head should be shaved. No, no, no. I know that's how it's interpreted, but no, it's not what it means. If you are, are prophesying or praying and you have your husband uncovered, if you have this attitude toward him or whatever is going on in the heart, that is the same as if that individual, that woman, were to shave her head, which is a dishonoring thing. You're, you're, you're dishonoring him. You're dishonoring the order that the Lord has placed, the godly order that he's placed in the scripture for the woman, the man, and Christ, and so on. You're dishonoring that order. Verse 6. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. Now, you know what a, a sheep is shorn? They, they shear a sheep. You know what that is? Anybody see, ever see a sheep shorn? They clip them. Start clipping them. You know, the sheep comes out and it's this big. It's about this big. It's huge. And then they clip the hair, and it's a scrawny little thing. It's like, you know, a cat. Some of these cats are real bushy, and they're real pretty. And you get them soaking wet, and they look like a drowned rat. And they look, it's like, what happened? So he's saying here, for if the woman is, is not covered, for if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. So if, if she's not covered by her husband, if that is not right in her, let her be shaven. Let, take like the lamb. It's the same thing. It, it's, not, it's not the way it should be. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, if you're saying it's a shameful thing, which is a disgraceful thing, it is, then let her be covered. Let this thing start to operate the way it's supposed to operate in her life. 
Is this making sense to you? Now, shorn, well, I mentioned that it's like a sheep. Uh, if the woman does not cover her head, she might as well cut her hair. If the woman is not being covered by the husband because of her, her attitude, then she may as well cut off her hair. It's pretty strong. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine being in a church and then saying to the woman, you know what, you're not under submission to your husband the right way. He's loving you, he's doing what he should be doing, and you're not, so we're taking you down, we're cutting all your hair off. That's pretty strong stuff. If Paul, I'm not saying that Paul said that to do that physically, but he's making a point here of how important it is for each of us to be under the cover that we are to be under and to function in the role that the Lord has given us as men or as women. Verse 7. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head. Why should I not cover Christ? Since he is the image, the individual man, he is the image and glory of God. So in order for the glory of God to be seen, then we are to have our head uncovered. If we have our head as men uncovered, then there is a good chance that others will see the glory of God through Christ, through Christ in you. But the woman is the glory of the man. It's not that the woman can't have the glory of God. He's not saying that. He's just showing us an order. Everything in its order, everything in its place. See, God has in the Bible, he has certain arrangements ordained by him. And man can either come under those arrangements and start to function under them and be blessed by God, be blessed uh, in his going, be blessed in his coming. But he has to move under these arrangements. So it's not so much that, well, the God says, well, you, you're over here, you're lesser, you're, no, it's not that at all. It's that the woman who is the glory of man can be in that relationship in, under her covering. Now, when she is under her covering the way she should, then that means that also she is under Christ also, and she's also under God the Father. He's not excluding that. He's just comparing one to the other, you know, the man to the uh, woman and then uh, the man to Christ. He's just doing the comparison. But still, you know, a woman could be under the covering of her husband and her husband not be where he should be and not walking, not walking with the Lord the way he should be walking and not hearing from the Lord the direction for him, for the family, or whatever. And he might be moving out over here, but the woman is still under the covering of Christ. So she still has that, so to speak, that blanket over her that she can go to Christ. She can come to him and pray for her husband. She can come to him and say, Lord, you see this. I don't believe this is the right way. Please, Lord, to you know, work upon him to change his heart, to change the direction. And that's what she's to do. 
She's not to nag him back into where he's supposed to be because that never works. She's not to talk him down and say, you know what, the whole problem we have in this family is you. Well, that might be true, but that's not what you say. You you are to, if he moves out here, and we're still talking about the Christian man and woman, he moves out over here, then she is still here under Christ. And that's a place of protection, that's a place of wisdom, that's a place of understanding. And so she'll be all right. Even if he stays over here, she'll still be okay because there's nothing between her and her Savior. There's nothing there. You know, nothing that's going to hinder her relationship with the Lord. So don't let the husband interfere with that. You keep that the way it's to be between you and the Lord. And in many instances, it happens that because of the faithfulness of the wife, because of the wife remaining where she is, is to be and not rising up, the man many times is brought back into the place where he should be, which is wonderful. Now, I do want to say this, just want to interject this. It does say in Numbers, chapter 5, that under the law, the woman who was caught in adultery uh, would go to the priest and he would uncover her head. It was something that they did. But what Paul is talking about, I believe, is much different than what we see there in the law. Verse 8, For man is not from woman, but woman from the man. You understand that, right? Do you understand it? What does that mean? Tell me where that is in Scripture. Some of you guys. Yeah, yeah. Where God looked at Adam and he says that, I see that you're here and you need companionship. I will make a help meet for you. And so he caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. And you know the story. He, he takes out a rib and he creates Eve, brings her to Adam. So he, he's saying here, for man is not from the woman. He's talking about Genesis here. Because, you know, now a man comes from the womb of a woman, right, when they're born. He's not talking about that. He's talking about Genesis. For man is not from the woman, but woman from the man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. And this is not a derogatory statement regarding the woman, Once again, Paul is still talking about the order at which things are to function. He's talking about a role distinction between the husband and the wife. The wife has a different role in the family than the husband. And even though sometimes, even in our modern world, sometimes you have some of that is changed, where maybe the, the husband loses his job, he can't find a job, well, the woman steps forth, she gets a job. And, you know, but that's not talking about that. It's talking about this inner work where the woman knows her role and knows her place, and the man knows his role, he knows his place under Christ and the way he is to be and the way he is to treat his wife. He is to love his wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's a tall, tall order. And I believe that 
we as men should desire to fulfill that command that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And I don't believe it's impossible because if it was impossible, it wouldn't, Paul wouldn't say that we are to. He would say, well, you know, it would be nice if we would, but it's impossible. He doesn't say that. And the way it's possible is that we walk with the Lord and we allow Him to work in our life continually to take out what needs to come out from us and to put in what needs to be put in of the character of Christ and the love of God and so on, so that we can begin, and I state begin, to love our wives, maybe on a small level here, love our lives like Christ loved the church. See, that cannot happen. It cannot happen if the man is self-centered. And that's the big problem. The big, big problem is men are self-centered. Mainly in our country, they're self-centered. They're in it for themselves. They want what they want. Now, meet a girl, you know they want what they want. They're self-centered. And I could tell you some stories of some things that guys have done and how self-centered they were in their marriage. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. So the, the man who is self-centered, who is not God-centered, will never be able to fulfill love your wives as Christ loved the church. So you guys that are single... You're in a time of preparation. You're in a time where the Lord can, can help you to get the self-centeredness out of your life and become God-centered. Because if your life becomes God-centered, when your wife comes, when God brings you a wife, you'll then be able to treat her the way you are to treat her. You'll be able to cover her the way she is to be covered so that she will love you with a passion because you lay down your life for her. You're not interested in your own thing. You're not interested in your own buddies. You're not interested in going to the bar. You're not interested in any of that stuff. See, because you're Christ-centered, you're interested in what he wants, you know, what's going on in your life as far as he's concerned. And so the, this, this thing about the woman uncovering her husband, well, that's one thing. But see, the man is to be a covering for the woman. The right kind of cover. I'll tell you what, if the, the men would be the kind of men that we see in the Bible as far as what Paul describes, you know, love your wives as Christ loved the church. If a man can do that, the woman will automatically get in the right place. A lot of this depends on the man, as I see it. Men have not become men. Men of God, true men of God. And that's not, you know, all, have all this knowledge, no. It's character. So, you know, the Bible never says, not in one place, never commands a woman to love a man. Did you ever think about that? Never once. Why is that? The man's 
commanded to love the woman. Because if the man gets a hold of that and the Lord gets a hold of him, then he'll be in the right place. He'll love his wife and she will automatically honor him. She'll automatically come under his authority. It's not like, you have to come under my authority because I'm the man in the house. And there's men that do that. You must say, the Bible says you must listen to me. So listen, woman. I've heard that. And I say, they don't know what the Bible's talking about. They don't know what's going on. They're not true men as far as being a man of God that we see in Ephesians. So you want your marriage to be right? Lay down your life for your wife. And the Lord will show you what that means. Do for her sometimes when she's not expecting it and when you're tired, you don't feel like doing anything. Have her on your mind. Do something nice for her. Oh, I'll buy her flowers and I'm off the hook for a month. <laughs> I heard that too. That's nothing to do with it. See, that's the carnal nature. Oh, I'll get her. A, I'll get her some chocolates. I'll get her, you know, a bouquet, and then I can go do my thing for three weeks because she'll be all happy. That's the worldly man. That's not how we are to operate. So, if you want to have a successful marriage and you want to have a happy marriage, like the, like the saying says. Happy wife, happy life. You ever heard of that? That's not scriptural, but that's uh, pretty accurate. (laughs) That can be pretty accurate. What do you say? Don't answer. (laughs) I don't want you to be building a doghouse behind you. So don't answer me. Okay. Verse 8. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have the symbol of authority on her head. Now, there's a bunch of words added here, but it's still referring to the order. And he says, because of the angels, the angels look down and they're looking for the angels are under submission to who? To God, to Jesus. There is an order in heaven, and they are under and in the place, the orderly place of submission to God. And the woman is to be in submission to her husband to where she is covered. Her head is covered. She's not uncovering him. And that is a sign before the angels that she is in the correct order like the angels are in heaven. They're in the right order, except for the ones we know that fell. Those that are there, they're in the the correct order under God. Verse 11. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of the woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. So there you go. It's not a matter of, you know, I'm better than you, You know, I have the better position than you. No, it's not that at all. If a woman stays in the position the Lord has placed her in her role, she can obtain more of the glory of God in her life. She can become more Christ-like than the man who is supposed to be covering her. So it's not that she's a lesser citizen at all. The playing field basically is the same. It's, It's level. But you are to be in the place 
of submission that the Lord, in the role that the Lord has for you. That's the important thing. That's the key thing. Verse 12. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. Now he's talking about, before he's talking about where woman came from man in Genesis. Now he's talking about the actual physical birth here. Even so, man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. Judge among yourself, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? That's the question. Now, who's he talking about? Tell me, tell me what that verse means. A woman's praying to God with her head uncovered. What does that mean? Yeah. Okay, and, and who, what's the head mean? She's praying to God with her head uncovered. What's her head? Husband. Yes, I didn't say who on purpose. Yes, her husband. So are you seeing this? Mm-hmm. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for covering. Now in verse 15, verse 14 and 15, Paul is looking now at the natural thing, the natural order, the natural body. He's not talking now about you know, what he was talking about before. He's just trying to show you a comparison. He's still working on that, so people get it. And it's, it's amazing how many people have never got this, this chapter. It's, to me, I, I look at it and I say, it's clear to me. It's very clear to me. If you can see verse 3, and understand the subject here. And the subject doesn't change. The head of the man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head. The authority. Now if a woman prophesied with her head uncovered. Now we're, t- we're thinking it's talking about a veil. They're changing the subject. It's not, what the su- it's not the subject. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about what he says in verse 3. So here in verse 14 and 15, the hair here shows a gender and a role distinction. That's what Paul is getting to. Verse 16, but if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do we in the churches of God. So I wanted to show you this because this becomes an important thing that we all are to function under. See, we all need to know the place that God has placed us, the the role that he has given us. Now, you guys that are single, this is different for you. See, right now you're in a time when you're single. And the Lord will prepare you now. Remember, this is just not a time where you can just go do what you want. I mean, you can. But remember, Boaz, he was a man, I believe, who the Lord had done a work in his life. The Lord had been preparing him. He was a man of wealth, a man of position. He, he owned fields. And he could have went out and found a woman. Someone would have taken him. He had position. He had wealth. There is always someone that will, a woman who will go after someone who has wealth. So he could have done that. But you don't see him doing that. He has his attention on what he is to be doing at that time in his life. He's, he's, he's running a business. He's, you know, okay, reapers are going. You know, who, you know, who is this? No, he's dealing with 
what he's to be dealing with. He's not running around. He's not in the bar, so to speak, looking for a wife. He's not on Christian Mingle looking for a wife. So he's doing what he needs to do. He's in the time, or he went through a time of preparation, I believe, in his life, just like we should, where the Lord wants to do things in us to prepare us so that when a wife it's time for a wife. He will bring the right woman to you, and you will have the understanding and the wherewithal to treat her the way she should be treated, and you will understand certain principles and certain things, and, and what you are to do, your role in it, so that when he brings you a wife, who he is now preparing, he is preparing someone, see? She's in the time of preparation, too. And at the right time, he brings two people together. This is the way it is to work. He brings two people together, and the man should have had certain things done in his life to prepare him to be a husband. And the woman should have certain things done in her life so that she will be able to fulfill her role in the marriage and to be under him, and, and he is to be under Christ. So we talk about in the school and in church a lot about you know, letting the Lord have his way in your life and letting him take you through certain things through circumstances. Well, there's reasons for that because you're in time of preparation, not just for that. You're in time of preparation for what's coming later. But in the context of what we're talking about, you will be in a time of preparation and the Lord is not going to bring someone until you're ready. I, that's not what I believe. When you're ready, someone will come. If you are waiting by faith and you are looking to the Lord by faith, and you're not worrying about a woman. Now, you might want to be married, but you're not looking to that. You look to him. And at a point of time, when he sees fit, things will begin. And then remember, there is wisdom in the multitude of counselors. So let the Lord have his way in your life. And let him make a man of God out of you. So that you can be in the right place here when you are in this position. But if you're not in this position at this particular time, don't worry about it. You are to be under Christ, receiving and allowing him to, to work in your life to make you a man of God. So that whenever someone comes, you have something to give them. The man should have something to give the woman. In God, I'm talking about. You should have something in the Lord. The Lord should have done something in your life through a test, through a trial, through many different things so that you'll be able to act right. You'll be able to react correctly to her. Not that you'll always be perfect. I'm not talking about that, please. But that you will have something now to give her. You'll have something whenever she has a need. You'll have something to give her. And so the Lord wants to work in the life of men, I believe, to ready them. And if they're already in a marriage, to do in them what needs done so that they can properly be the head or the covering over the wife so that everything will be as it is to be. Okay? Yes? What do you think about if like, two people are supposed to be married and then like, they're both like, walking like, where they should be and then one goes off? Like they're supposed to get married. Do you think the Lord will like, like hold out, see if that person will come 
the Lord's always after reconciliation, but there comes a time when reconciliation is not possible for many reasons. And um, the, the best thing is to walk with God, to walk in the Spirit. And that's kind of like a cliche answer, but it's true. Yeah. So let's say the one person, uh, let's say that um, the woman goes her own way, does her own thing. Well, now it's the responsibility of the man to walk with the Lord and to, to listen to the Lord. I mean, you know, because the normal reaction says, well, forget about you. I'm going my own way, doing my own thing. No. You just walk with God, and that may be for a period of time. I know an individual who was married, and his wife left him for another man. And the Lord showed this guy what he was to do. And there was a time when he waited for reconciliation from his wife. And it was, I don't know how many years it was. And, and she never, she didn't want reconciliation. So eventually the Lord had him go on with his life to continue on. So what, you mean just bring another person to fill that place? Yeah. yeah. You, you, see in, you see in the scripture, uh, Judas, for example, Judas was called by the Lord as an apostle, but he lost his position. And some believe that in Acts 1, that when they, was it Matthias or whatever it was, drew lots, that he was a replacement for Judas. But you never see him ever mentioned again. But who you do see in Acts is Paul. So it seems as though, to me, that Paul was raised up to take the apostleship that Judas should have taken. So that's just that one instance. And then you see with Saul, he was the king over Israel, and he lost his position, and another took that position, which was David. So that happens uh, in, in the Bible. It happens in churches where the Lord may raise up someone to be a pastor, for example, or a teacher. And you know, they decide to go their own way to do whatever, and the Lord was going to, to take them, and that, that was to happen here years ago. There was a man in the church that the Lord was raising up. He had all the qualities of the pastor. But he went his own way. Now, he's still Christian. He's still saved. He's, he's a nice man. But that's not the issue. The issue was that he, I believe he should have fulfilled a certain thing. So what did the Lord do? He raised another man as a pastor. So I believe that that can happen also with two people. Same same thing. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry, I just was thinking about something I thought maybe we could mention. I'm thinking of Vashti. Okay. Moved and Esther was raised. And Vashti, she kind of disgraced her husband because she didn't come. And he was not, I don't think he was a godly man. And he was grieving and he said to her, come. But just as an example, maybe just to throw out there, at least mm. in a woman's yeah, that's a good one, actually. Yeah. Did I answer your question? Yeah. And then you think of um, Nabal and Abigail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she covered her husband, but then again, she said, I mean, she said he's a man of Belial, but yet I think she went and tried to cover for him and, and provide the food or whatnot to David. But, but then she, she, Nabal was removed, and then she became married. Yes. Yeah. So there are some women examples too. Mm -hmm. 
You know, she, um, she told the truth to David about him, though, which, which David needed to hear, you know, what type of person he was. And then she agreed with what David knew. He was going to come and destroy them, the whole household, everyone. And, uh, yes, she, Abigail, saved uh, David from disgrace. So, yes, I mean, I believe that God has one woman for one man. God calls people into, you know, ministry. God called the children of Israel in the wilderness, but they fell in the wilderness. So, you know, a person can be called, and that's good. But the fulfillment of the call might never come to pass with them in their life, ever. And I've seen it many, 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 many times. And God can call a man and a woman to be together, and that could be the only one for them, and that whole thing be broken because of the will of man, and that, that can fall apart, and God can bring another one to fill that spot, and they can be the only one, if you understand what I'm saying. So, I mean, the Lord does all kinds of things. So, okay, we'll stop there.